0: We're on websites today. We're going to be talking about websites. Welcome to the Profitable Maverick Podcast, where side hustle warriors and full-time ride or die business owners come to chase their dreams. Nobody else serves the goods as straight, with heart, or has your back like Tom does. Come learn how to become the most profitable business owner in the room, to double your income, to triple your time off, and to get your business rocking and rolling like you want it. Being an independent maverick in business has come of age, and let's face it, doing business online these days is possibly the only way you're making a living. So join this community of like-minded mavericks on a mission to reach your highest potential and improve your business with the profitable maverick. Now, here's your host, Tom Birchall. Hello and welcome to The Profitable Maverick. We are talking about busting some myths in this episode. We've been doing a three part series, well more part series, there's a few more that we'll add to it, to make this collection of episodes that are looking at getting your business online and busting some of the top myths that are keeping you from doing it. Emails, websites, and SEO, and we're on websites today. We're gonna be talking about websites. You may have heard people in the marketplace say the following. Websites are dead. It's like, wait, well, what? Wait a minute. I've done this series to address these different myths and to either bust them or confirm them. Fact or fiction, what's going on with this? Are websites dead? question. In today's episode, I'm going to cover three things. I'm going to cover some context and some history of websites, where they came from, when they started, and where we're at now, the evolution of them, and some next steps to be helping you with your business here and now of practical things you can implement and to do. I'm excited about this because I just love technology and there was a time that I was working in the tech space and just loved this stuff. I had a workstation with five computers on my desk. We were testing and developing computer software. I was in the test engineering group and my job was to blow things up. So the engineers would make this stuff similar to applications that you use today. And my job and team was there to see what bugs were in that software before it was released out into the marketplace. And so we would work with this alpha beta ship model. My job was to, like I said, blow things up. There was this love-hate relationship between me and the engineering department. (laughs) Because when we were successful at our job, it was pointing out how they weren't successful at their job. And so uh, it was a lot of fun. But the internet has some history and it is at this point today, I was looking up some stats online and it's sitting at a place where we have 1.7 billion websites out on the interwebs. And that is a lot of websites. What we have is people doing their thing out there and creating this and the size and sheer scale of how many sites is to me impressive it's astounding it's like a wow factor because I mean we're up in the numbering of how you count the number of humans on earth right that's in the measuring of billions there's seven and change billion people that inhabit the earth and there are 1.7 billion websites that inhabit the interwebs that's a lot of websites and where did we come from? Where did this all start? Well, in 80s. 1989 is when the Internet was started. And a gentleman by the name of Tim barons Lee is the person who's been attributed as starting the Internet was in France and Switzerland, I want to say, at CERN. So you may have heard of the Hedron Collider. That's where they take subatomic particles and they accelerate one very fast in one direction and they send another off in the other direction very fast and then they line them up so that they collide and do experiments and see what happens. And that Hedron Collider is from an organization called CERN, which stands for the European Council for Nuclear research and because it's in france sometimes in french uh, they switch words around so the literal translation to match up with the acronym would be Council European Research Nuclear. Nonetheless, it's where literally rocket scientists and some of the most advanced minds on our planet are figuring out how to work with science and quantum physics. It's an exciting thing. I don't want to get sidetracked with that, but that's where it started. And the point of it was to meet the demand for getting information passed between scientists, universities and institutions around the world. They needed a communications network and that was the, the impetus that started the internet of being able to connect what was happening over at one university or institution and connect it to another instead of having to get in a car and drive over there. It's like, how can we pass information to each other? Make that faster, make it easier, more practical. Great history and startings. In 93 in April, they went and put it out onto the internet in the public domain. That's where things started to really happen. I was a part of that. Curiously enough, a little bit of history on myself. In 91, I was going to the University of Waterloo studying engineering and I had this fascination and curiosity with computers and technology. In the engineering program, we do work terms, particularly at the University of Waterloo. It's uh, known for this of every four months, of doing this cycle of going out and doing work terms and then back at university for study for four months and then out into industry to get practical experience and apply that knowledge. It's this back and forth process. And a friend of mine was working with researchers and scientists, that was his job, uh, with this internet thing in 91, just a couple of years before it went public. And he said, Tom, I got so much work to do. Can you help me? And I know you're curious about computers. And so I would go over on evenings and weekends and just hang out at his place on the computers and we would do I would help him do his job (laughs) I was just so curious about it and this was when the internet began and what we were doing was testing web browsers and uh, I mentioned one of the other episodes it was just a lot of fun to see some of this evolution of history occurring and now looking back on it see how it's evolved because where we're at today is incredible we have so many different tools systems and processes that we can use online I'm going to talk through some of that stuff what I'm curious about, too, is, is the practical economics of websites and the internet. That, that becomes a, a key piece because the promise is that we can do business on the internet. And uh, I've been speaking about this for years and I did one of my first talks in public at the University of Calgary in 97, I think it was, to the MBA program on what it was like doing business on the internet because the company I work for, one of the top tech companies in the world, Nortel Networks, they asked our company hey who's your top guy on the internet come talk to us about internet business and so that's what I did but with this myth busting myth busting process what is the economic value of the internet if any people are saying websites are dead and so they're throwing out hey like what's the point there's no ability to do business is that what they're suggesting well let's look at that because it's important to know if that is reality or not And it most certainly is. When we talk about GDP, gross domestic product, you're typically wanting to do an apples to apples comparison of countries. What's the productivity? And that's what GDP measures. GDP is the measure of the productivity or the output of a nation. And it gives people the ability to compare one country to another. And what is their economic value that they're contributing to society and to the world? There's a phrase you probably have heard of G7 summits and G20. What they're doing is ranking countries with their gross domestic product, their GDP, on a list and taking those top, if it's a G7, it's top seven countries of their gross domestic product output. G20, the top 20 countries. And to give you some context of the size and sheer mass of this, interesting fun fact, in the United States, the state of California measuring its own GDP of the production of that state, what it produces and creates as an economic engine and its contribution. Some of the stats I looked at, place it, if it was a country in and of itself, it would be the eighth largest or eighth on that list country in the world. Wow, that's incredible. So its contribution to the United States is very significant in and of itself. That's a big deal. Now, let's get specific and look at the internet. Had to dig around to find some of this stuff. What I found was, Reuters, here's the source, they're saying that the rapidly growing internet sector accounted for 2.1 trillion of the U.S. economy, and that was in 2018. That's a lot. We're not talking millions with an M or billions with a B, we're talking trillions with a T. That's incredible. And that accounts for about 10% of the nation's GDP. Wow. Wow. So the internet, which is made up of websites, that's what runs it. Like that's the real estate, the thing that you go to when you're on it. The activity you do is you go to websites. And those websites are accounting for 10% of the United States' GDP, gross domestic product. That is huge. There's another report by the Boston Consulting Group in the UK the internet's contribution is more than that of construction and education. In the US, it exceeds the federal government's percentage of GDP. Wow. The internet economy, another one reads on in the Boston Consulting Group's report that I was looking at, and I'll put a link to this in the show notes. The internet economy in the developing markets of the G20 will grow at an annual rate of 8%, far outpacing just about every traditional economic sector, producing both wealth and jobs. So, The internet and the websites on it are a formidable force, economic engine, generating trillions of dollars in revenue and productivity, producing a lot of jobs and a lot of wealth for folks goes on to comment specifically about small business, and this is what I was looking for is, where does small business fit into that? Because that's applicable to you and to me here. Given their agility and ability to innovate, it says one would expect SMEs, which is small and medium enterprises, which is small business, long the engine of economic growth in many economies to grasp the power of the internet to build their businesses. Indeed, many have, and these companies have helped turn the web into an important vehicle for revenue growth and job creation but a surprising number have not. Let that not be you. Get on the internet if you're not. But a surprising number have not or have ventured online only to a limited extent. These companies are leaving an enormous opportunity untapped. So we've looked at how many websites are out there. There's 1.7 billion. We're looking at it as an economic engine. Is it valid or not? And most certainly it is. 10% of the US GDP is accounted for with the internet alone. That's significant. The next phase that I wanna talk about is the second part is the evolution of websites. of looking at where it's evolved and is it evolving? Because if they're dead, that means that the evolution would be going down. And if it's going up, then it would mean it's very alive. So what has happened over history, historically, with the evolution of websites? And you may have heard of this phrase, Web 2.0 and Web 1.0 and Web 3.0. And like, what does that mean? I wanted to break that down and explain that to you. I had it on one of the other episodes, but don't want to leave you hanging. If you want to get more information, go look that up about three or four episodes back. But uh, right here, right now, for our purposes, just the context of it, It is simply an easy way to look at the web growth of 1.0, 2.0, 3.0 is simply by how many commas are on the websites. So web.0 has one comma in the number. It was hundreds of thousands. Web 2.0 is hundreds of millions. And we're getting into two commas to count how many websites there are. And now we're getting into billions. There's three commas to get into the billions of websites. And so that's one measure. The practical reality of it is when Web 1.0, that first iteration of the web and growth of the web, and what I spoke of in the other episode was talking about this crawl, walk, run process that just about everything that we do in business and life has these baby steps that we start out with and then get going a little bit faster and more steady on your feet and then get to running and so this is what has happened with the evolution of the web so 1.0 it was one-way communication so back when it was started with CERN and Tim it it is this process of wanting to reach out and communicate so it was one-way communication and it was outgoing Well, the nature of websites, let me also comment on this, was more brochure type style websites. It was just simply information on there that people could go look at and it would be the equivalent of handing out a brochure to someone to see the different things that a company did or wanted to do and provide services and products. Web 2.0 was the introduction of this two-way communication where not only were people able to set up a website and have a presence online but users were able to then to communicate back and create what was called user generated content on the internet. And so websites were able then to take information from people that were inputting and adding and giving it back to the company so we started to have this two-way communication. So if Web 1.0 was one-way communication, Web 2.0 was two-way communication. When we step into web 3.0, we're talking about a three-dimensional way of communicating and getting into what we are more commonly hearing of the phrase used is AI, artificial intelligence, that we have added intelligence into the web and onto web pages. Data being created by the web itself, of the gathering of so many statistics and data points, of being able to create its own data. So not only is there in 1.0, there was one-way communication out, Web 2.0 created the two-way communication and now we're kind of going into this third dimension of so much data being available on the internet that data is being created in and of itself. It's becoming sophisticated. We're numbering into the three commas to number how many websites there are into the billions. So the web most definitely is growing. It's not declining, but it's increasing in its scope and scale. Another report I'm going to note here, too, is the number of applications available has been growing. Uh, I saw a web page, and I'll, I'll refer to it. I'll look it up and refer to it uh, in the show notes. Is measuring the growth over the past 10 years of how many applications are available. It's been hundreds and then into the thousands. And we're sitting at, this year, about 8,000 different web applications that are available to us on the interwebs. And there's a company, I can't remember the name off the top of my head, but I remember looking at this report. They are documenting and cataloging all the different types of accounts and tools that are available to us. And it's sitting at 8,000. It's astounding. Okay, in this last and third section, what I want to do is talk about the next steps. What are some practical applications that you can take, start to do and focus on in your business? I love talking about making business easier, of taking complex things and simplifying them. And when they're simple, then they become easy. And this whole thing about websites is a mystery to some, and I want to make it simple for you. And one of the practical things that you can do on your website is a, first of all, dang it, have one. If you don't get a presence on the web and get your address and your storefront out there, having a website becomes your piece of real estate, if you will, out on the interwebs. And it's a place where you can hang your shingle and uh, be open for business. Begin to communicate back and forth with your clients. And so one of the important things is what to do on your website. Brochure websites as I referred to before of almost having just this pile of information and I'm speaking of it in a little bit of a derogatory sense because uh, people are doing these old school websites that aren't that practical. You wanna have one that's practical and useful. And the evolution of where we've gone to now, the most important thing I could share with you is this. Have a landing page. Start creating landing pages. And landing pages are a very specific type of page that you have on your website. What it is is having a specific conversation, period. Creating a landing page is taking a little bit of what you can do and having one conversation, one theme, one topic of what you can offer to folks and having that conversation. Now, when you start working with web designers, web developers, if you're not doing it yourself, you ask your web developer, what a landing page is. And if he starts talking about your homepage, stop working with them. They don't get what I'm about to share with you and share statistics that are powerful and the power of what landing pages can do for you. The important thing is when you are marketing and sharing what you do with your products or services, you have different areas on the internet where you are going to be doing that type of thing. For example, you may be a guest on a podcast and sharing about what you do there, being interviewed. Well, when you're talking there, you could send people, this would be an old school thing to do, to your website, to your homepage. It would behoove you to not do that. It would behoove you to set up a specific landing page that's pertinent to the conversation and what you're sharing with that host of an offer that you've got of some valuable piece of information that you're going to give away for free to begin to build some goodwill with a new audience of the things that you can do. And when you do that, you would send them to a specific page that you've designed that would be a smooth transition from the conversation they were listening to on that podcast over to a landing page specifically about something that you mentioned on it that you're talking about having a offer of some sort of a a freemium. These are some terms that are used, a lead magnet, a PDF, some kind of valuable content that you're giving away for free that would establish some goodwill that people would be interested in. And you carry on that conversation on that landing page. This becomes a very valuable, useful effective way of transitioning from one place of the internet over into your ecosystem in your world. Now, the problem is if you send them to your homepage, there's so many things that are probably listed there. It's confusing. And you've taken a user, a listener, someone experiencing you for the first time from a easily followable conversation over here to a distracted conversation of your homepage over there. So don't do that. (laughs) don't be doing that a landing page is having a very specific conversation and it's a wonderful and effective way to transition from a conversation you've had over on one place to your ecosystem here and now let's get into some of the statistics and it will start to make some sense landing pages are a more effective means of converting prospects yet nearly half of companies do not use them that's why landing pages are so effective and useful More landing pages means more conversions. Here's some statistics by HubSpot. Companies with 10 to 15, and I really want to highlight this. If there's one thing you're taking away from this episode, this is it here and now. Companies with 10 to 15 landing pages increase leads by 55%. That is significant. But wait, there's more. Companies with 40 or more landing pages. 40, can you imagine? Start to imagine. This is a challenge for you. Companies with 40 or more landing pages get 12 times more leads. That's 12,000% more leads than those with five or less. So we've got a few categories here. We've got five or less, we've got 10 to 15, and then we've got this category of 40 or more. This is hugely significant. I just can't highlight it enough. The need and the importance for you to create more landing pages on your website. What that means is you're starting to identify these very unique and specific conversations that are happening in your world and in the marketplace when you're out in other people's worlds. And what you wanna do is transition and bring people from other worlds on the internet into yours. And when you have a landing page, it's the key thing for doing that. Let's look at some more statistics and important things. Unfortunately, 48% of landing pages contain more than one offer. This is from Marketing Experiments. The first rule of landing pages is one offer for page. That's a really important thing to highlight here. Don't have a bunch of distracting things of all the products and services that you can do because you probably have more than one. But on a given landing page, on one landing page, have one conversation and one offer. As a matter of fact, don't even have menus so on your regular website, on your normal part of your website you're going to have a header with the menu items right of your about page and a blog perhaps and a contact us all these different things for people to get in touch with you for which is great but on a landing page no 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 don't be doing that on a landing page on a landing page you want to clean that all off you want to make it very clean and have just one thing one offer one conversation Let me repeat this. Unfortunately, 48% of landing pages contain more than one offer. The first rule of landing pages is one offer per page. In fact, multiple offers can decrease conversions by up to 266%. Wow! I mean, if you want to shoot yourself in the foot, have multiple offers on a landing page. It can decrease conversions by up to 266%. That's just not a good thing. Let that not be you. Here's the next one. Never give visitors an easy way to exit your page until they've converted. As much as 84% of landing pages have distracting navigation on it. Again, like I was mentioning, those headers up at the top. Don't be putting headers on a landing page. That becomes distracting. As much as 84% of landing pages have distracting navigation. Phrased another way, only 16% of landing pages have no navigation. Which is good. This number should be much higher. Never give visitors an easy way to exit your page until they have converted. Let's look at another statistic. Only half, 50% of all landing pages are mobile optimized. This is a stat come to us by Adobe. Mobile use is one of the fastest growing segments of the internet. If your page is not optimized for mobile, your prospect is gone in seconds. This is so true and so many websites are not optimized for mobile. Google changed its algorithm in about 2016-ish to start to favor and reward websites that were mobile optimized. You need to be designing your page with the concept and philosophy and you need to talk to your web developer and ask him this question. Are you guys developing as if my users are sitting on their phones looking at the website? Because my website needs to show up on that mobile phone in a fantastic, optimized, wonderful, smooth experience kind of way and if they are desktop centric meaning they are assuming that your users are going to be experiencing your website through a desktop that's not the direction to go work with someone else fire them hire someone else that is developing from a mobile phone and application device first and desktop second let's look at another statistic here a one second delay in loading your site can lower conversions by seven percent this is by Kissmetrics That number increases for every additional second and length of time that it takes longer to load. Make sure your pages are optimized to load quickly on any device, laptop, desktop, tablet, or phone. That's huge. Let's look at another statistic and get into some of this stuff on testing. Getting landed pages built and tested is a top five challenge for marketers. What this is talking about is, yeah, it's a lot of work. It takes effort, focus, attention, energy, design, strategy, to think of the different conversations you can be having, particularly if you want to get up to that threshold of having 40 landing pages or more, to get that 12 times increase in your revenue or of leads. If you're getting 12 times more leads, you're getting that much more revenue. So it becomes really important to test, not only get the website built for being these conversational landing pages, and having only one offer, all the stuff that we've been talking about, but start to test them. And what this stat is saying is that this is one of the top challenges, top five challenges of business owners and marketers is building landing pages and testing them. Here's another stat. 60% of companies perform fewer than five tests per month. Comes to us from Brilliant Web Solutions. Whether it's a landing page optimization or tweaking your lead funnel you need to get out and test regularly. So this is what I'm highlighting is a start building landing pages and then b the important pieces to test them and test often. The reason you test often is number one the links may be broken. Two. The logistics of your conversation flow in that web page or where it takes people to or what your offer is may need tweaking and may need updating because you've grown evolved as a business. And that website you built six months ago or two years ago, gosh, it just isn't making sense right now for my message and how I communicate and talk in the marketplace. So it's making sense. So you need to keep it updated and tweak and adjust and update so that it's effective. I can't tell you how many websites I've gone to where people have outdated old incorrect information on it that isn't even applicable anymore. Quite often I'll reach out to those folks that business owner, say hey it's just on your website. And if you see this, take a moment to do that. I've built a lot of good bridges and created a lot of friendships and business here where I've just simply reached out to folks and shared with them and communicated with them that their website's out of date or there's a broken link or something's just not making sense because I was on one part of the website where it seems to be pretty current and really applicable and on point. And I went to this other that has a landing page that takes me to an offer that they've got and it just isn't making sense. It's like, wow, was this like written like two years ago? Because it doesn't seem applicable. They've been very grateful and thankful that I've done that. So let that not be you. Keep current and keep applicable to what you are talking about in your messaging. Here's another stat. 48% of marketers build a new landing page for each marketing campaign. Let this be you. This comes to us from Serpstat. SERP stat. Start building new landing pages for each campaign that you do. Think about that. If you didn't know to do this, I'm letting you know. And if you did know... Stop being lazy and start getting that landing page built because it becomes so applicable. You start having a very current, congruent, easy to follow conversation that transitions from wherever someone was coming from. Let's give another example. Let's say that you have done some posts on your Facebook page. And you want to get people off of Facebook and then onto your website, like into your ecosystem and your landing page. So create a landing page for that transition of conversation from a Facebook post that you did, boom, over to not your homepage. Stop sending people to your homepage, which technically would be a landing page. It's where someone lands when they go to your website. However, get more sophisticated than that. Get more nuanced. Get more specific. Start to increase your revenue like I'm talking about here by having a landing page applicable to that conversation. So have a landing page that takes people from Facebook over into your ecosystem, have a Facebook landing page. If you are active on Instagram, have an Instagram landing page where someone comes from that Instagram ecosystem over onto your website, carry on the conversation that you have, or maybe as you're doing Instagram posts, have a specific campaign set up that moves people from Instagram over to your landing page on a specific conversation. That you're talking about and creates an experience for them that's all congruent and lined up and makes sense. I'll repeat that stat 48% of marketers build a new landing page for each marketing campaign. That's awesome. That's a good thing. Let that be you. Here's another one talking about headlines. Only 77% of marketers who test are testing headlines. Headlines become really important. When you have a landing page, that's the first thing up at the top is the headline. Similar to a subject line on your email. 77% of marketers who test are testing headlines. Your headline should reflect the page content. It should be greeting the visitor. It should be specific. And it should be an A-B tested headline to ensure that it is optimized. If you don't have a WordPress plugin or a WordPress theme that is doing A-B testing, testing for your headlines you gotta get one and if you're using uh, one of the box builders that's what I call them so the Weebly Wix and Squarespace get some testing tools happening if they don't have that stop using it move over to WordPress where you've got way more tools is it more sophisticated and complex than one of those box builders I'm not sure that well yes it is for sure but I don't know how much more difficult it is for you to go and build it. WordPress has become so easy to build and use and get websites up and running. And I'm not talking about the wordpress.com. If you have a subdomain on that, that's not what I'm talking about. It's a self-hosted WordPress website because there's two flavors of WordPress, of course, and you want to be working on the self-hosted version. But get your headlines of your landing pages dialed and tuned in so that you are getting applicable language that is striking a chord with visitors to your website. Here's the next one. You only have eight seconds to make an impression comes to us from interactive marketing. Your headline is the most important element of your landing page. That's why testing is so crucial. You have got to be mindful of how short a person's attention span is. Number one. And number two, how quickly they come and go from your website. <laughs> I mean, you pour over it. You spend time or your web designer does. If that's the person who's doing it, they'll, they'll spend hours pouring over your website and building these pages that people literally spend nanoseconds on. You got to be aware of that, of how short people's attention span is. And when they come to your site, they're either there or gone. And you need to be aware of that. This stat is saying that you only have eight seconds to make that impression for someone to stay or are they going to go. Building trust. Here's a couple of things on building trust. Include your contact information to increase trust and conversions. Come to us from Kissmetrics, including something as simple as a phone number. Can you increase conversions? People feel more comfortable sharing their information if you have shared yours. Here's another stat, 88% of consumers trust testimonials and reviews. Reviewers and testimonials can up the trust quotient and increase landing page conversions. That becomes really important. Share some of the testimonials that you've got. And again, if you've got an automated process and a system, right? I love systems. Systemize the testimonials. Get a systematic way of processing testimonials from your clients and customers. Set it up as a functional tool on your website. This is where we're getting into web 3.0, right? In an email that you've sent out to clients just following up on some of your customer service or they've recently bought a product of yours and they're really happy with it, which is the best time to do a testimonial. Say, hey, Hit this link, it'll take you over to my website and you can share with me a testimonial of your experience with us. We've got a couple of questions there so that it's formatted and a little spot for them to upload a photo and they can fill in all that information and you can begin to systematically collect testimonials. Huge win for your website. Then you can start to share them and use them on strategic places on your website. For example, on landing pages. (laughs) Here's a little bit more on testing. I want to hit home the point that testing becomes really important and valuable. Targeting and testing correctly can increase conversion rates by up to 300%. Wow. I'm going to repeat that and say that again. Targeting and testing correctly can increase conversion rates by up to 300%. Correctly targeting your message to your buyer personas will have most impact on your landing page performance. That is huge and very valuable for you to go and do. Here's another one. Don't neglect your headline. We talked about that earlier. 90% of visitors who read your headline will also read your call to action, your CTA. This comes to us from Marketing Sherpa. The headline is the key. If they don't read it, they won't go any further down the page the majority of the time. Headlines become really important. Like I mentioned, there's sort of like that headline in your, or your subject line for an email that you send out. So get that subject line dialed in and tuned in, test those, and test the headlines on your landing pages. I'm going to wrap this up. What we talked about today is context, the context slash history of the internet, how it began and some of the economics and of GDP and how that's grown and how much of a powerful force that websites are. We've talked about the evolution of the internet and the websites, how we've gone from the web 1.0 to 2.0 to 3.0. We've talked about the next steps that are practical and I've given you some statistics and insights on how to build landing pages as the number one thing of what you can do with your website right now Of building landing pages that have that individual smooth transition conversation from where you might be out on the interwebs and bringing people into your ecosystem. This is really valuable stuff. If you want to get all the details from these in this episode, get over to our show notes on this at theprofitablemaverick.com. I look forward to catching up with you soon. So get out there, live more, love more, and be a more profitable Maverick. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please rate and recommend Ali, of course, on iTunes, on Overcast, or wherever it is you subscribe to your podcasts. You can get more great information on this episode, its show notes, and our other episodes and shows at theprofitablemaverick.com. That's theprofitablemaverick.com. Until next time, get out there, live more, love more, and be a more profitable maverick.